You are listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. All right. Well, if you can find your seat. This morning, we are continuing the series that we've been in over the last several weeks, uh, walking through the story of Abraham, Genesis 11 to 22. So if you have a Bible, would you turn with me this morning to Genesis chapter 16? Genesis chapter 16, and uh, I'm not going to be preaching this morning. Actually, Pastor Marty is going to come up and preach, and uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. Marty has spent a lot of time uh, on this text, both teaching it and studying it, writing papers, and so we're really, really excited about what she's going to share in this text for us this morning. Would you stand to your feet for the reading of God's Word? Genesis chapter 16. We'll start reading in verse 1. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. And she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abraham had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, And she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abraham, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms. And now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abraham said. Do with her whatever you think is best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar. So she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the round to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from? And where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hands will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him and he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God who sees me for she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well, is, the, the well was called Ber Leroy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she bore. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks, Sam. And this is quite a story we're looking at this morning. So if you're new, haven't been to uh, been a part of this series, I want to just quickly recap. So Abram and Sarah were living in the land of Ur, and God called them. And he called them to follow him. And when he called them, he gave them a promise that he would make them into a great nation, that their descendants would be too numerous to count, and that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through them. 
And we've been following this story for several weeks, and we've seen some ups and downs. And so Abram, Abram sometimes has amazing faith, and other times not so much. So last week, Pastor David focused on the story of Lot found in Genesis 18. And Lot is Abraham's nephew. And Lot has ceased to be a pilgrim. He's living in the land of Sodom. And he's beginning to operate out of fear rather than faith. And some bad things happen. You can go back and listen to that. This week, we're jumping back a few chapters to Genesis 16 uh, to look at the story of Sarah and what happens when she stops trusting God to fulfill the promise. And instead, she operates by taking matters into her own hands. So this morning, we're going to focus on the three main characters in this story. Hagar, the, wife, the slave, Sarah, the wife of Abram, and the angel of the Lord. Now, Sarah and Abram were unable to have children. They've been waiting for years. How can they become a great nation if there is no baby? And God is not coming through. And so Sarah decides to find a solution to the problem. And this is a beginning of a very serious family conflict. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, and we ask this morning that you will speak to us, you will speak to our hearts and our lives, uh, that we will hear your voice and see you this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So infertility uh, in the ancient world was very common, and if you read the scriptures, you'll find out there's lots of, of families dealing with infertility. It is still common today. And Infertility is incredibly painful. Maybe you've struggled with it or a family member or friend. And when we can have children, it's natural to seek solutions. What are our options? What can we do? And in the modern world, we often look at technology to solve our problems. So what treatments are possible? We look at things like uh, surgery or hormones or egg and sperm donors, in vitro fertilization or even surrogacy. And for those of us who are people of faith, there are some critical questions we need to explore. So the faith questions, like, where is God in this? And what does God have for our family? And then the ethical questions, how do these technologies impact us and others involved in the process? How do they impact the donor or the surrogate or the future offspring? And what if this technology produces multiple embryos, and when we create new life, other life needs to be destroyed. And these are some things we need to think about. But ultimately, the key discernment question is, God, how would you have us move forward? And when we don't ask these critical questions, much pain and conflict can result. And in our story today, Sarah fails to ask the right questions. She doesn't seek God's will and doesn't consider who might be harmed by her decisions. And since God is not working, Sarah feels the need to help God out, even though God does not need our help. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. You, God has promised you something, and God is not coming through, and you need to move things forward yourself. I think most of us have felt that way at some point. And we, I think we can have some empathy for Sarah, some, a little, it's likely that people around her are telling her that it's her job to solve the problem. In her culture, women were responsible to produce children for the family. And in her culture, who was she without children? 
She didn't have much value. And so there must have been some tension in Sarah. She felt this responsibility and this helplessness and this desperation. And the window is closing in on this promise. And so she feels like she needs a quick solution. And she knows that there are some legal and culturally acceptable ways that are available to her. And one of those is a kind of surrogacy. So in the ancient Near East, it was legal to have slaves. And according to the Code of Hammurabi, it was legal to take one of your slaves to use to produce an heir. So the slave was protected by law, and the slave would become a wife whose sole purpose was to bear a child for the childless couple. And this is the option Sarah chooses without consulting God. And she fails to look at the ethical issues involved in this kind of surrogacy and the possible fallout from it. And so she moves ahead with this plan that has dire consequences for her family. And these consequences play out in her lifetime, if you keep reading the story, and far beyond, and perhaps even to this day, as, as Arabs claim Hagar's son as their great-great-grandfather. So it was legal for Sarah to take a surrogate. But not everything that is legal is ethical. So today, it may be legal to end your life through maid when you're critically ill. But just because it's legal, it doesn't mean it's good. And it's the choice that God would have you make. It's permissible to get divorced for any reason. But we know if we leave our spouse because we've met someone better, that it is a violation of the promises that we made when we entered marriage. What is legal is not always good or ethical. And so despite what is right and good, Sarah proceeds with her very bad plan to use her slave to produce a child. And she goes to talk to Abraham. And she says, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And in the King James and in older translations, the word slave would have been translated as handmaid. So can you think of a modern book that might be, have been playing off this story, <laughs> right? A Handmaid's Tale. And this is uh, Margaret Atwood's dystopian novel about the impact of religious fundamentalism on women. And biblical scholar Phyllis Tribble has branded this text a text of terror. And she lists it in the top four or the bottom four stories in scripture about the treatment of women. And so this is an awful story. Imagining ourselves in Hagar's place is frightening, and it should raise questions for us, like, is God okay with this? And so as, as we read scripture, we need to try and find God's perspective on the events that are recorded. And it's, it's important to know that just because something is in the text, it doesn't mean that what happened is right and good. And so sometimes the consequences of the event help us to know that it's not right. For instance, every time we see polygamy in scripture, there are bad results. And this is a clue to us that polygamy is not life-giving and it's not condoned by God. And often the perspective of the narrator is the way we can see what is right or wrong. So think of the story of David and Bathsheba. And at the end of that story, the narrator says this, and the thing David had done displeased the Lord. And so in this story, both of those kind of critiques are in play. There's bad results of Sarah's decision, 
But the narrator of the story also critiques Abraham and Sarah's choice with his commentary. And in the New Revised Standard Version, which is a more literal translation than the NIV, it says this, and Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. Now this takes us back to a much older story. Can you think of another time in Genesis where a man listened to his wife instead of God? Yeah, we can all think of that story, the Garden of Eden. And the same three verbs in the story of Adam and Eve's sin are used here. The three verbs are took, gave, and listen. So Eve took the apple, gave it to her husband who was with her, and God judged Adam for listening to the voice of his wife and not God's voice. And in Genesis 16 here, Abraham listens to his wife, Sarah. Sarah took her slave and gave it to her husband. Listened, took, and gave. And this is a departure from trust and faith in the God who gives good gifts. And both Sarah and Abraham are complicit in this event. And when we really want something, when it's something good, and especially when we believe God has promised it, it's easy to rationalize and move ahead of God. But Jesus taught us to take time to pray and to listen to God and listen to how God directs us. We can't excuse our ethical decisions on what feels good to us, on what is the law of the land, or what works for us. And Sarah's plan is bad, and she has stopped trusting God. And in turn, she fails to consider the impact of this decision on her slave. And so the slave is soon pregnant. And not surprisingly, this woman, Hagar, who's a person with no power, now she's pregnant, she recognizes she has some power, and she recognizes this change in status, and she doesn't look at Sarah in the way a slave should look at her mistress. And the literal Hebrew here is, her mistress was lowered in her eyes or became insignificant. And this enrages Sarah. And so the Hammurabi Code also addresses this problem. If a slave wife becomes proud, the master can reduce the slave wife back down to a slave. And so this is what Sarah is asking Abraham to do. And Abraham complies with his wife. He returns Hagar to Sarah as a slave with the words, do whatever you think best. And Sarah mistreats Hagar. And the same word um, mistreat is found in Exodus 1, 11 and 12. One, yeah, for the way the Pharaoh is oppressing his slaves, the Hebrew people. So instead of the Egyptians oppressing the Hebrews, here in our story today, the Hebrews are oppressing an Egyptian. So before we leave the scene with Sarah and Abraham, I want you to notice this. To Abraham and Sarah, Hagar is simply an object. Now, does this surprise you? Abraham and Sarah, they're loved and chosen by call, got by God, the creator of the world, so that all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Instead of blessing, they use their chosen status to exploit a vulnerable woman so they can get the promise that God has already promised them. Now, I'm confident as this was happening that Hagar was not thinking to herself, I can really see God in these people. How can I know this God they follow? And Sarah and Abraham have taken this woman 
who's made in the image of God, and they've treated her like property. Hagar is not seen or heard. She's never addressed. She's never called by name. She's simply treated as livestock to be taken and given, and this violates her humanity. And Sarah mistreats Hagar so badly that this vulnerable pregnant woman flees into the wilderness without food and water, for it's better to die than to stay under Sarah's mistreatment. Now, this is a sad story, and it's a graphic example of what we are capable of. As Pastor Brad said a couple weeks ago when he preached here, that in the scriptures, God is the only hero. And so it shouldn't surprise us that when we, the people of God, take our eyes off God, when we forget God's goodness and grace towards us, when we stop trusting in God's provision, we are capable of evil. And when we really want something, or when we think we deserve something, we will be tempted to believe that the end justifies the means. Sin runs deeply in our hearts. Now, as we look around today, we see stories popping up in the media of pastors and other Christian leaders misusing their power and treating others very badly. And this is sad. It's disappointing. It's grievous. But it is not surprising. The whole of Scripture reminds us again and again of what humans are capable of, even humans who are followers of God. And we need God's mercy and God's empowering presence. The first six verses of this chapter leave us much to reflect on and much to grieve. But in verse 7, the story takes a big shift because God intervenes. And the angel of the Lord finds Hagar near a spring in the desert. And he says to her, Hagar, slave of Sarah, where have you come from? And where are you going? Hagar, what's happening? The angel of the Lord is the first one in the story to talk directly to Hagar and to call her by name. So who is this angel of the Lord? A more literal translation is the messenger of Yahweh. And this is the first time in scripture this messenger of Yahweh appears. And the angel is a mysterious figure. When he first arrives, people think it's simply this messenger. But often the angel begins to speak as God, to identify himself with God, and to take on the action of God. And the one who's being visited begins to recognize that the messenger is God. Now, Not only is Hagar the first person described in the scriptures to meet this angel of the Lord, this is the first time since the Garden of Eden that God has spoken to a woman, to Hagar, to an Egyptian slave. Now, the angel says something to Hagar in verse 9 that's very uncomfortable and and unexpected. He says to her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. And this word submit is the same root as the verb mistreat in verse 6. So he says, go back to your mistress and put up with her abuse. Now, don't take this as a principle for dealing with abuse. This is a specific story. But what the angel is doing here is he is not denying Sarah's abuse. He's not covering it up. Perhaps he's sending her back because that's the only place where her life can be preserved. For the sake of her life and for the sake of the life of her child, she must return. 
And most of the time, I think, God doesn't jump in and miraculously fix all our problems. Often we have to face them and walk through them. And this doesn't sound good to us. We want miraculous deliverance from our challenges. And this word from the angel couldn't have sounded good to to Hagar. Why would she want to go back and be mistreated again? But then the angel adds a promise. And he says, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Doesn't this sound like the promise that Abraham received? So, and then the angel of the Lord tells her, you are pregnant with a son and you are to name him God Hears or Ishmael because God has heard of your misery, your affliction and your pain. And the angel says that there is a future for her son and he gives her this message of liberation and freedom. Her son will be like a wild donkey. Now, this doesn't sound good to us, but this was actually praise, and there were beautiful donkeys that roamed the desert. And God is saying that your son will never be a slave. He will be free. Now, he'll obviously have some conflict with people as he goes, but, at, but this means that he'll stay apart and independent from people who would likely want to enslave him. So Hagar's response to God's promise to her is that her hopelessness is transformed to hope because she knows God cares. And she, even if she has to return to the one who's going to mistreat her. And there's something remarkable in this story. And the remarkable thing is that Hagar, the Egyptian, trusts in God's voice and returns to Sarah. What a contrast to Sarah, who fails to trust in or seek after God. And before she returns, Hagar turns and speaks to this messenger of Yahweh, and she names him, and she says, you are El-Roi, the God who sees me. This is a very powerful and unique meeting between Hagar and God. It's a remarkable exchange. God sees Hagar, and he calls her by name, and Hagar sees God, and she calls him by name. This is the only person in the Old Testament who names God. And it's such a transformative way for God to reveal himself to someone who's so powerless. So is God really like this? Does God come down to engage with everyday humans, particularly vulnerable and marginal ones? And maybe you're here and you're a skeptic. And one of the things that grounds this story in history is the name of the well. And in verse 14, it says, that is why the well was called Ba'ir Lehe Roi, and it's still here between Kadesh and Bered. And so this story of what happened to Hagar must have become known to the people in the land, because when this story is written down, hundreds of years after the story of Hagar, there's still a memorial well in that place, remembering Hagar's experience of God the well of him that lives and sees me. So if you're a skeptic, imagine for a moment, there was a woman named Hagar. She was a slave. She flees into the desert, and God travels into the wilderness to find her. The creator of the universe calls her by name. Can you imagine this? We often think of God as distant or powerful or indifferent to human suffering. And to many, the Old Testament in particular portrays a harsh and angry God. But this is not the God who appears to Hagar. 
the God who sees. And if we look at the Bible and read it closer, we will see that this is the God of scriptures, the God who hears our cries and sees our sorrows. God is the God of compassion. He has compassion on us and is with us. So our God is not way up in the heavens missing the details of our life, but he's very present. So God sees us and God sees you when you are suffering, when you are powerless, when you are persecuted, whether you're poor or a single parent or struggling with addiction, God sees you. And God's presence is an ongoing theme throughout the Bible. King David echoes it in Psalm 139. He says, where can I go from your spirit? And where can I flee from your presence? Jesus affirms this in his incarnation when he comes to earth as a God human. God is with us. And so in John 1.14, it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The Apostle Paul reminds us of this in Acts 17. For in him we live and move and have our being. God is present around us and with us. And, is, and, and those of us who are followers of Jesus are in God. We are in Christ. And in the Christian story, we don't take the first step to God. But God takes the first step to us. He doesn't leave us in our misery. He cares for us in our pain. And this is evidence most clearly on the cross, where Jesus bore our sorrow and our suffering. So the God who sees is still active in the world, and Jesus describes God in Luke 15 as the shepherd who leaves his 99 sheep and travels over hills and mountains to find the lost one. Doesn't this sound like the way God acted in the story of Hagar? Now, I've heard remarkable stories of God showing up to people who do not yet know God. So this summer, when Pastor David and I and the team went on a mission trip to the Middle East, many of the Muslim background believers we met had come to faith in desperate times through Jesus appearing to them in dreams and visions. If you want to hear more about this, I'll be like David and do an ad. We're having a Mission Snacks and Stories Night, November 17th at 7 p.m., so come and hear more stories. Um, so God appears to people in visions and dreams. But I also had a friend who received a vision of Jesus while she was meditating in a Buddhist temple. Can you imagine? She wasn't looking for Jesus. Uh, she was, she'd been hurt by the church. She was looking for inner peace. And when she saw this vision of Jesus, she was actually angry. What was Jesus doing there? She was running away from him. But this vision eventually drew her back to Jesus, and she began a deep and meaningful relationship with him. So as we read this story this morning... There are so many different movements, but where might we sense God, be, God speaking to us in it? Now, it could be through the action of Sarah and Abraham and their lack of trust in God. Or maybe their bad behavior is a cautionary tale for us. Or maybe it's through the generous action of the angel of the Lord or the experience of Hagar the slave. How is God stirring you to respond to this story? So if you're here and you can identify with Abraham and Sarah, maybe it's because you find it challenging to trust God, uh, God's goodness towards you. Maybe like Sarah, you're tempted to take matters into your own hands. I thought things would be different than this. God has let me down. I need to figure this out myself. 
What is God inviting you to this morning? If you are having trouble trusting God, talk to God. He can handle your fears and your doubts and your complaints. Or maybe Sarah and Abraham's story impacts you because you look back and regret how you treated someone. You were anxious, you were afraid, you were eager to get what you wanted, and you didn't care about the impact on another person. And now maybe you feel shame or guilt about that. You didn't reflect God's love to those around you. You can bring this to God too. And what is God? What might God invite you to do in, a resp- in, the, in response to your failure to love others well? And maybe you hear this story this morning and Sarah and Abraham make you mad and they remind you of all the deficient Christians you've known. And you're tired of hearing bad stories about religious people, sexual misconduct, residential schools, any number of sins, and you're thinking of packing it in. Now, before you do, I want you to know that I think God is tired of this bad press too. And I think there's another invitation here. So how might this story have been different if when Sarah was tempted to use her slave as a surrogate, Abraham, instead of passively following along, had spoken up and said, hey, wait a minute, Sarah, this seems like a bad plan. Let's pray about the ethics of this. How might things have been different? And maybe you react to this story because you just want to cover up the mistakes of God's church and protect God's reputation. And I believe that one of the reasons this very negative story about Abraham and Sarah is in the scriptures is to warn us as God's people that when we fail to trust God, when we take matters into our own hands, there will be fallout and we will become a barrier on people's road to God. So as a church, we have an opportunity to come alongside each other and to challenge each other when we see someone headed down the wrong path. We can speak up when things go sideways in our church or with the Christian leaders around us. So I want to share with you a very powerful sermon which was preached before the Reformation. It was preached by a courageous pastor who stood up against the bad behavior of the people who claimed to be followers of God. And his name was Antonio de Montesino. It was 1511 in the Dominican Republic, two decades after Columbus had landed in the Caribbean. Indigenous people had been decimated by the Spanish. Thousands and thousands had died. And one Sunday, Father Antonio had had enough. And he called all the Spanish elite to come to the church to hear his sermon. And this was the core of his message. He says, listen to me closely. The words I'm about to speak to you will be very strange. I am like one crying out in the wilderness. God gave us the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with his indigenous people, but you have exploited them for selfish gain. You've enslaved them. You've waged war against them. You've oppressed them and made them do hard labor. You have not loved them as you love yourself. And if you don't repent you will be judged like an unbeliever. Now, this is the first sermon recorded in the Americas which addressed injustice towards indigenous people, and it was preached over 500 years ago. 
It was a hard word, but one man who was sitting in the congregation was very moved by this word, and his name was Bartolome de la Casas. And he was so moved by this, he dedicated the rest of his life to stopping the slavery of indigenous people in the Americas. So what if we hear this hard word today that exposes Sarah and Abraham, and it transforms us? And we dedicate our lives to caring for the oppressed. And we begin to pray that God will give us eyes to see and ears to hear the suffering around us. And we make ourselves available to God. And what if the angel of the Lord becomes a model for us of what it means to be God's hands and feet to another? And we ask the Spirit to enable us to go out and like this angel, find and care for those in need. What might change? I think it's an invitation to us. And finally, maybe as you hear this story, you're drawn to Hagar. You know what it's like to feel powerless and alone and afraid. And you know what it's like to have people in power mistreat you. If you're in a rough place, you might even be asking the question, can I trust God? And does God really see me? And there was a time in my life where I was in this place. I was in my 20s. I'd been mistreated by those who claimed to love God, and I didn't know where to turn. And I felt very powerless, and I wondered if God was on the side of the oppressor. And I began to challenge God. Where were you when this happened to me? And I was shocked because God began to answer me and to speak to me in kind and gentle and loving ways. Writer and spiritual director William Berry says this. He says, if, if I don't know in my bones that God loves me with an everlasting love, I will not dare to open myself to his gaze and to ask to see myself as he sees me. So if this story of Hagar speaks the truth, if the God of the universe really sees us, sees you, if God in the person of Jesus really did, stoop down and come to live with us. If God really is the God who sees, then we can be confident that God loves us. And all that's left for us to do is our open ourselves to God. Let's pray. So God, I do thank you for this very hard story this morning. What it shows us about ourselves, what it shows us about you, but it shows us about your love and your presence. And so, God, I pray this morning um, for those who feel convicted. God, I pray that your spirit will be at work, that you will bring forgiveness and freedom. I pray for those of us who feel challenged. God, may we respond to that challenge. And I pray for those of us who are hurting. God, may we experience your love and your presence and your kindness. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.